Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here on this beautiful, beautiful, wet Sunday morning. I'd like to welcome all those at our South Campus. I'd like to welcome those in our Grovetown Campus and all of you who are watching on demand or watching uh, at home. You know, I like to start with something funny. Uh, <clears throat> did you hear about the church that was in a building program? And while they're in this building program, a man called the church office and said uh, to the secretary, said, hey, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. She said, are you talking about our pastor? If you're talking about our pastor, you better call him the pastor and show him some respect. He said, well, I'm about to uh, make a $10,000 donation to the church. She said, wait a minute, Porky just walked in. <laughs> so if you brought your $10,000 donation, you can call me anything you want to call me. Well, today we're continuing our series called Be Generous. In a world where uh, self-interest and material pursuits take center stage, this series focuses on the power of of generosity. And probably the best uh, verse in all of the scriptures about generosity is John chapter 3 and verse 16. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he, begave, that he gave. Now, the big idea for this series is simply this. Every act of generosity can make a big difference in someone's life. Every act of generosity can make a big difference in someone's life. Now, being generous, I'm not just talking about giving money, but being generous is about sharing our time and our talents and our resources. It's not just about pleasing God, but it's about making a difference in our community and truly around the world. I want to start by sharing the story of Megan Vogel. Megan Vogel was a junior, and she was a long-distance runner competing uh, on the state level. In fact, she won the 1,600-meter race, and then she entered a second race at the state finals, the 3,200-meter race. Nearing the end, she went around the curve about 50 meters from the finish line. The girl in front of her started to slow down. She started to wobble, and then she fell. And what happened next caught the attention of the news media around the world. Because Megan, instead of blowing right past her, stopped her and picked her up and put her arm around her and helped her make it to the finish line. And when she got to the line, Megan made sure that this girl that she had never met, this girl that she did not know, crossed the line before she did. Now, in a normal situation... Both girls would be disqualified because you cannot touch another runner. But the state acknowledged this and both gave them an ending time. During the interview after the race, Megan said these words. She said, you know what? Helping her across the finish line was more meaningful to me than winning the state title. Like Megan, you can help somebody across the finish line. 
like Megan, I believe that you can breathe life into someone. And that's why we're doing this series, just trying to encourage all of us to be attentive, to be present, and to speak life and to speak hope in people that we meet. The series is based on the very familiar story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and today we're going to go deep into this story. Now, last week we talked about this parable uh, that Jesus introduced us, and it's about a man that was traveling down a dusty road when he was attacked and beaten by bandits. And we focused last week on the question, who is my neighbor? In those days, there was a big debate going on in the Jewish community of who is my neighbor? Because Jews felt like their neighbor was the only people just like them. People like part of their tribe. People who voted like they did, who dressed like they did, who acted like they did, who liked the same teams as they did. Who wore the red and black like they did. Now, I'm sure some of you have just been waiting. Is he going to say anything? What are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. That during those first two quarters, I am telling you, I felt like God was smiling on us. But apparently during halftime, there was a prayer meeting going on with all the red and black black faithful, and you won. You won the prayer meeting. You won the game. Congratulations. What do you say now? Is it like go puppy dogs? What, what is it? Go dogs. That's what it is. I knew it was something like that. Now, you want, you know, I told Patty, I said, that's why they're number one. It's as simply as that. Uh, anyway, all those in Grovetown, those in South Campus, congratulations, all you dog fans. Uh, I think at this point you're supposed to say, wait till next year, but I'll hold that till later on. Back to the story. They looked at their neighbors as only other Jews, people who are just like them. And if you're not on our team, then you are not only not my neighbor, but you are my enemy. And so the Jews in those days had a long list of enemies. And at the top of their list were the Romans and the Samaritans. So when Jesus was asked this question, who is my neighbor Jesus responded, instead of answering the question directly, he responded with a story. We pick up that story in verse number 30 of chapter 10. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. When he fell in the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, The way Jesus said this is very interesting because we don't know where this man is from. We don't know this man's nationality. All we know is that he is a man and he is headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem was probably 2,400 feet above the Mediterranean Sea. And Jericho was below sea level, about 850 feet. And so what we see is there's a 17-mile trek from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and it was wavy, and it was winding, and it bends, and it curves, and it descends 3,400 feet. 
And this man was walking down from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and this man was mugged, and he was beaten by a group of bandits. Now, scholars will tell you that this was one of the most dangerous roads in all of the Near East. And these robbers beat this man to a pulp. They stripped him of his clothes, and they left him there half dead. Now, um, in this era, there are two ways that you were able to recognize a person. One was by the color of their clothes... By their clothes, you could tell, oh, they're from Rome. Oh, they're from Nazareth. Oh, they're from Galilee. Oh, they're from Samaria. You could tell where a person was from with how they dressed. The second way you could tell a pers- um, where a person was from was by their accent. You know, just like today, if you talk to someone, uh, they may say, oh, you're from the Deep South. Or, oh, you're from Boston, or, you can, or you're from Michigan. You can tell the different dialects or the different accents. But this person here that's laying on the side of the road, this person has no clothes on. He's lying there half dead. And in the Hebrew, being half dead meant that they expected this man to die at any moment. So we don't know who this person is. We don't know if he's a Jew. We don't know if he's Roman. We don't know if he's a friend or is he an enemy. We don't have any idea. All we know is that he is lying there on the side of the road. All we know is that he is about to die. And at this point, Jesus is setting up the story for the good Samaritan to step in and to help. But before he does that, he focuses on two individuals here. And these two individuals miss their opportunity to be a part of something very special. Now, the first person was a priest. So we pick up the story in verse 31. It said, a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man and the priest passed by to the other side. What do we know about the priest? We know that in those days, the priests were of the upper class. Scholars believe that the majority of priests would live in the city of Jericho. Now, priests would work along the Levites and the lay people on a two-week rotation in the temple, and then they would be off for two weeks. So here, this priest had probably been working for two weeks at the temple in Jerusalem, and now he is headed home for a time of rest. He's of the upper class, so he is on a horse, and he's headed home. So the priest sees this man, and instead of stopping his horse, he just keeps on going. Now, why would he do that? Why would he miss this opportunity? I think there are four reasons why the priest missed this opportunity. And these four reasons really relate to you and me too. Because oftentimes, you and I will miss an opportunity to do something good for somebody else. Here's the first reason. We're just too busy. We're just too busy. This priest had a job to do. And he was traveling down this road for a reason. He was tired. He was worn out. He was ready to go home. He didn't want to 
focus on anything else but his own family. He wanted to get home. He just didn't have the time. Your schedule doesn't show how much time you have as much as it shows how much care you have. The most valuable resource that all of us have is our time. But for this priest, it's more than just his time. And I know he was in a hurry, but it was just more than that. For him, it involved understanding the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's how he understood those words. Because in those words, it talked about the priest's responsibility is to remain holy. And if this priest gets off the horse and he touches a man, specifically a dead man, he would be unclean. He'd be ceremonially unclean. And when a priest becomes unclean, he has to go back to the temple to go through the process of cleansing. He would be defiled at that point, and he would have to go back to the temple where the defiled priest had to go. And as a result of that, he could not do his job. He didn't stay holy. He couldn't stay holy. So this priest had a decision. Is this person worth me not being able to do my job? And if he were to become defiled, then he would be shamed. And so this priest is saying, is this person who is laying on the side of the road, where I don't know if he's a friend or an enemy, is this person worth me suffering through the shame or the mocking that I would endure? Is this person worth me going all the way back to Jerusalem instead of being with my family? I said there's four reasons that we often miss opportunity. The first one is that we are too busy. The second one is this. Sometimes... It gets too complicated. Life can get complicated when you engage with broken people. Life can be messy. Things can get messy. Oftentimes, when you engage with a broken person, uh, um, it takes you out of your comfort zone. And then you have to look at this person and say, is this person worth getting messy over? So the priest asked, is this person worth it? In his mind, he said, no, it's not worth it. So he directed his horse to the other side of the road because it wasn't worth it for the priest. So this priest missed the opportunity. This priest did not stop and help. But there's another character in this story. The second character in this story is a Levite. Now, the Levite, we see this in verse 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, saw this man laying on the side of the road, laying there half dead, when he saw him, he passed by to the other side also. So who are the Levites? The Levites were in charge of the worship services at the temple. They handled security. They took care of the grounds. And they, too, worked on a two-week rotation. So they would be on uh, at work for two weeks, and then they would be off for two weeks. So this Levite was headed home that day. And he didn't have the resources 
of the priest. So more than likely, he is walking, which means that he was closer to the situation, closer to the person than the priest would have been. So he looked at this person who was there on the ground, who was there half dead, and he walked by. Now, there are two possibilities here. He may have continued walking because he was afraid. Maybe he was afraid of the thieves hiding nearby because, look, no doubt this guy was beaten to a pulp. And could it be that these robbers, these thieves, maybe they're hanging out behind the rocks. Maybe if I stop, they're going to attack me. So he's being very practical here. And that takes us to the third reason that we often miss opportunities, and that's this. Sometimes we're just afraid. We're afraid to take a risk. We're afraid to take a risk. It may be the right thing, but sometimes the right thing is the hardest thing to do. And so we see that for this Levite, it was not worth taking the risk. But there's something else going on, too. Because that Levite more than likely knew that the priest was on the road, too, because you would Never go down a dangerous road, especially the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, without knowing who else is traveling on the road with you. You're going to want to know who is going and then who's going to come after you because you may need help along the way. And so this Levite more than likely knew that the priest had come by and uh, no doubt the priest had seen this man lying there. And so in the in this Levite's mind, he's thinking, well, you know what? The priest, the priest didn't stop and help him. And you know, if I stop and help him, maybe it'll look, uh, it'll make the priest look bad. Maybe I'll contradict him. Maybe I'll bring disfavor on him or maybe even on myself. And so the Levite saw a loophole here. Takes us to our fourth thing. We often miss opportunities because we expect someone else to help. We often miss opportunities because we expect somebody else to help. Isn't there somebody else's job to do this? I mean, I'm not qualified to do this. I'm not an EMT person. I don't know medicine. I mean, come on. And we talk ourselves out of that. You know, if every one of us waited for somebody else, then nothing would ever get done. So here we see a Levite miss the opportunity. If I look at this story and I put myself in the story, I'm kind of like the Levite because there are times in my life where I just miss opportunities. I just don't see them. Several years ago, an example of this happened here at church. Back in those days, we were doing four services every Sunday, and we did two services in the morning and then two afternoon services. So I just finished speaking uh, the two services in the morning, and, and you really have to watch your afternoon, your lunchtime, because you had to be back here about 4, 4.30 uh, to get ready for the 5 o'clock service. And so I walk right out of the front door. I go to the car, and then Patty's following me, and all of a sudden she stops because there's a a young man standing by the door. Now, the the parking lot is basically empty at this time, and this guy's standing there. So Patty stops and said, hey, do you need a ride home? And uh, he said, 
by the way, I do. I'm thinking like, come on, Patty. We've got people waiting on us at the restaurant, and you're giving somebody that you've never seen before a ride home. And so I knew a little bit of the man's story, but Patty didn't know anything. But if you're going to get in our car, you can guarantee you she is going to interview you the whole time you're in the car. And she's going to find out stuff about you that most people may not know. Now, to her surprise, she started to interview him, and he was 27 years old. He just moved to town. And he was on probation. And she found out that the previous 10 years that he had been in Uh, He was in jail for 10 years prior to that. In fact, he had been in jail three different times. And she let him in our car. He had just moved, gotten out of jail for the last 10 years, moved to Augusta, came to Stevens Creek, gotten saved, and eventually baptized here. I walked by. I missed the opportunity. She paused long enough to say, hey, you need some help. That's just one example. That's happened over and over. And I think one of the big uh, points that Jesus is making here is any time that you see a person in need, there is an opportunity to help. And we all have uh, opportunities along the way. God places people in our lives and gives us an opportunity to make a difference. And look, It's easy to miss that because we're busy people. And sometimes we don't want to take the risk, and we don't want to do this, or we don't want to do that. Life can get complicated. And I'm not giving this message trying to make you feel guilty. That's not the point of this message at all. I don't want you leaving this place or leaving our Grovetown campus, our South campus, feeling like you're a bad person because you're not. The point of this message is this. It's just to help us to be aware. Just to be aware that every day we all have opportunities maybe to encourage somebody else. Maybe to look into their eyes and to speak life. Because you've never looked into the eyes of someone that does not matter to God. And we can look at them and give them value and try to lift them up. We can lift them up with our words, but other times it may be just a helping hand. In 2016, a group from our church started a program called Adopt-A-Block. Now today, Adopt-A-Block focuses on three under-resourced neighborhoods in our city. It's led by Dom Roselli with the support of dedicated individuals like Doug Thompson, Tim Ebersall, and Priscilla Wynn, and a whole host of volunteers. And this program tackles the needs in these under-resourced communities. Sometimes it's clothes. Sometimes um, it's food. Other times it's helping to make their community a better place by cleaning it up, by doing yard work, by doing these type of activities to lift the spirits. They also provide kids' activities. And talking to Dom, one of the leaders, he shares his story. He said, you know, growing up as a kid, I lived in a low-income, crime-infested area. He said, as a kid, I turned to drugs and alcohol thinking uh, this, this was my escape. But instead, that activity, drugs and alcohol, led me into greater trouble. But through all the negative influences and behaviors, I was always looking for a purpose for people who cared about me. He said, I eventually met someone, some people who were Christians. 
And when I met these Christians, my life were to- was totally changed. They showed me that they cared about me and they edified me. And Dom says, I want to do the same thing for the people at Dogwood Terrace where people have done to me when I was a kid. If I could speak life or hope into somebody here, then I can return the favor. Now, Tim's story uh, is similar in some ways. He grew up in a a church in California, and that church made it a point to do mission work in Mexico. So on a regular basis, as a teenager, he would go to Mexico, and they would do mission work. And he said that the adopt a prop. Uh, Adopt-A-Block program gives him the opportunity to take his kids, not to a foreign land, but just to the inner city and share missions experiences with them to help broaden the view of the worldview of his kids and help them serve along, um, serve those needy people in our community. I want you to be open. And maybe it's to be a part of uh, the adopt about program. Maybe it's to, to work at our Dream Center. Maybe it's to work in our youth ministry. Maybe it's to be a part of our kids' ministry. Maybe it's to lead a small group. There's a lot of different ways that we can serve. I just want you to be open to the prompting that just maybe God is going to anoint you. Just maybe God is going to give you an opportunity to be light in somebody's darkness. Maybe you are the miracle that they have been praying for. God gives all of us an opportunity to make a difference. And I believe that when we roll up our sleeves and we make a difference in somebody else's life, that it comes back to us. The Bible says you cast your bread on the water and not too many days it will come back to you. The Bible says you give and it shall be given unto you. Could it be? that helping others could act as the catalyst for your change? Could it be that once you start to help somebody else out, that you will see help come to you in your situation? It's interesting that the first example that Jesus used was a priest. He was a busy man. He had duties to fulfill. And he didn't have time to bother with the man that was hurting. Can I say this? That true religion gets dirty. It doesn't hide behind stained glass and it doesn't hide behind fancy clothes, but it goes to where the needs are. And true religion is rolling up your sleeves and loving people. We say it around here all the time. Stevens Creek exists because we're going to love God and we're going to love people and we are going to serve the world. We're not going to judge the world and we have to fight against that. Because oftentimes when we see somebody laying half dead on the side of the road, we'll say, well, she's hurting, but you know, I don't think she's living right. Oh, he's in need, but you know what? It's his own fault. It's easy to kind of look down and to, to judge that person. Oh, he's got an addiction, but you know what? They brought that trouble on themselves. They got what they deserve. It's easy to look with that type of slant. 
But Jesus said, listen, it's the sick people who need a doctor. And he called us to be the healing balm. He called us to be the light in their darkness. And so when I read this story and I look at our lives, what does it say to us? I just want you to be aware as you move into your week that just maybe God is going to put somebody in your path and just maybe you're going to pause maybe for two minutes and you're going to lift them up with your words. Are you going to take time to send them a text? Are you going to take time to give them a ride? Maybe that's all they need, just a ride. Are you going to help them with a a crisis? That you're going to be present in their pain just for a moment. Now, I started this message off talking about neighbors. Who are our neighbors? And maybe that's the first thing that we need to do and determine who are our neighbors. Now, practically, it could be the people living beside you. Or it could be the people that the Lord has put near us. And the homework for this week is simply this. Find out their name. How about that? Just find out their name. That's the next step. Just find out their name. And maybe that neighbor is that person at the grocery store. And you go to the grocery store every week and you see the same people. What if you just simply did this? What if you went through the same aisle to the same person to have your groceries checked out? And that you look on their name tag and you call them by name. And you develop a relationship every week. And who knows, there may come a time where you have an opportunity to have a conversation with that person outside of the checkout line. And just maybe, maybe that normal everyday conversation will turn into a spiritual conversation. And you say, oh, I don't know if I can handle a spiritual conversation. Well, here's how you can handle it. Just look at that person and say, I hear what you're saying. And then you ask them this question. Well, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? That's all. Because if you'll just pose that question to your new friend that maybe you just found out their name, that's all. Just say, hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? I believe that when they walk into this auditorium, that when they walk into our Grovetown auditorium, when they walk into our South Campus, that they will sense a, the presence of the Lord. That they will sense His power. And maybe for the first time in their lives, they feel that they can go on and they can have hope that the better days are ahead.